Can everybody hear me okay? Great. Um, I'll, I'll put on the headphones. To... Is that, which is clear, uh, headphones or no head, headphones? Or no head, no, no headphones? Headphones. Okay, so where we left off um, in, in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, and we're coming to a, a pivotal time in, in the history of Israel. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you, uh, you may remember that we, uh, we were looking basically at, at the, the emergence of Samuel as, as the prophet and, and the, the judge over, over Israel. Um, but now we're coming to a pivotal time in the history of, of the nation of Israel. So, so turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judge, judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign, not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his own, for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king, with whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear in that day and they said no but we will have a king over us that we may also be like the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles and Samuel heard all the words of the people 
and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. Father, thank you for this word. And uh, I just pray um, you will just uh, really open it up um, to make it relevant uh, to our, our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as many of you probably are aware at this stage, um, there's some very important and significant political developments happening across the water from us in, in, in Britain and of, of Brexit. And it's something that has been brewing for many, many years now. Um, most recently, of course, when, when they voted, the, the, uh, the British voted to leave um, the European Union on, um, in, in 2016, in June 2016. But it's, it's a, in many ways, it's a seismic event and you know, different people will, will, will tell you whether they think it's a good thing or, or a bad thing, but depending on, on their political view, et cetera. But there's no, there's no disputing that it's, it's a seismic event in, in the history of uh, the United Kingdom. And I think more generally in, in sort of the, the world's polit political sphere. And while there's been many debates to and, and for and against it and, and the different reasons why it's good and why it's bad, et cetera, et cetera, and the reasons why people voted and didn't vote for Brexit, all that sort of stuff. Ultimately, it boils down to really one, one main concept, one main issue. And that is the issue of sovereignty. So sovereignty essentially means the ability to rule yourselves. And, and the British have voted that they wanted sovereignty over, complete sovereignty over their, um, their nation. And we see even today, um, it looks like this issue of sovereignty is, is very much going to come, come to, a, to a, a head. And the, the question for, for Britain really was, if we will get our sovereignty, but we might lose, if we lose us, get our sovereignty, we might lose you know, access to the, the European market. And, and many people would say, who, who were opposed to Brexit would say that the loss of sovereignty, the gain in sovereignty was not worth the loss um, that, that they might experience uh, because they, they wouldn't be part of the, the European Union. And there'd be many sort of forecasts saying that there, there will be significant issues, etc. But for those who, were, who, who voted, um, and essentially the majority of the British people, albeit a narrowed one, the issue of sovereignty was, was pretty much the main reason why people voted uh, to leave at the European Union. And with sovereignty, sovereignty is, is tied up with 
um, it, essentially power and, and freedom, freedom to make your own choices, um, set your own laws, set your own taxes, and um, your allegiance goes to uh, your own uh, your own ruler as opposed to to someone else. So it's been a huge issue. But for those who are certainly uh, positive about Brexit, um, they see their sovereignty as a as an a, an avenue to realize their potential. So they felt, or they feel, that within the European Union, their potential is not what it, it realized, is not what it could be. And it's, it's interesting that potential, the, the word potential, the Latin for the word potential actually comes from the same word for power. And that same word is essentially the same as sovereignty. And another word that is used for sovereign, sovereign is potentate, the powerful, the powerful one, the, the ruler. And the British essentially felt when they voted that we take back control, our powers, and we will be able to realize our potential. And they weren't happy with, you know, taking laws from, from outside. And, and some of them would say they were from faceless bureaucrats that they didn't see, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm not making a political broadcast here, so don't worry about that. But it's just interesting such a, a big, big issue. And, and we see it really coming to a head at the moment, the issue of sovereignty um, and, and taking control of your own destiny, so to speak, um, with a view to realizing your potential. And it was something that's been brewing for a number of years um, with the United Kingdom and uh, in relation to the European Union. There, there was never a, a, a cozy relationship there was always a, a fraught relationship, and it really has come to, to come to a head um, now. Obviously, it has major implications for Ireland. Um, if if there's a, a hard Brexit, it could be very significant implications for Ireland. So, it's an issue that you know our family certainly we've been praying for that God God will 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 overrule it and that He will. Um, be, he will be sovereign and that whatever it is part of God's plan that he will uh, make sure that is what comes to pass and I do believe that God is is moving uh, very much but do keep praying uh, for for Ireland and and the United Kingdom um, at this time but the reason I, br I bring it up um, is because there were definite par parallels with with the situation here that Israel the nation of Israel finds itself in because this chapter chapter eight is essentially about sovereignty about who who rules over the nation of israel and essentially israel wanted to rule itself uh, rather than have god as its ruler and so they wanted a king so up until now they had um, judges and the judges were were, uh, were raised up um, it was about a, a period of about 400 450 years 
where judges ruled, but they were not, they were not kings. And I'll, I'll explain the difference in, in a minute. But essentially, as, as we discussed briefly before, Israel, God had set up Israel not to be um, like any other nation. The whole point of Israel was that it was a holy nation. It was separate. It was set apart. And it was not to be like any other nation. All the other nations had their kings. Israel's king was their God. Jehovah was the king of Israel. And so, as I said before, it was what they call a theocracy. Israel had a theocracy. They didn't have a human king ruling over them. They had God as a ruler. And God would provide for them and God would fight their battles and ultimately deliver them from their enemies. But that deliverance from their enemies was conditioned on the fact that they obeyed God and they served him only, that they didn't go after other false gods. And we know through the history of uh, the book of Judges that that didn't happen. So when they came into the promised land under, under Joshua, and they subdued the land, they started to adopt many of the ways of those practices of those who were in the land, even though God explicitly said, don't uh, worship the idols of those in the land. That's exactly what they did. And so Israel transitioned over that period of time from a theocracy to what many would see at the end of Judges, in the last, the last ver verse in, in, in the book of Judges, it had descended into, from, the, from theocracy into anarchy. It says in, in Judges 21, 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their eyes. So the ideal was that God would be the ruler of Israel. But of course, due to their, their sinfulness and idolatry, that didn't work out. And it descended, as I said, into a state of essentially anarchy where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And as, as the last verse in Judges says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And it is very much, that last verse is very much pointing to what will happen when a king will become established. And I suppose in many senses for the Israelites, they felt order would be put in place. Like the, and they would be like the, the, the nations um, that, that surrounded them, uh, in many cases, their enemies. So up until that point, God had delivered them. When, they, when their enemies had come up, come upon them essentially as judgment upon upon their idolatry they would cry out to god and god would deliver them through a series of judges and they reckon there was about 12 judges in all not including samuel and these judges were essentially raised up by god to deliver israel um, in times of need against their enemies they were flawed. Many of them were flawed characters. Uh, Samson and Gideon uh, come, come, come to mind in particular. Uh, but God anointed them and used them 
to, to rescue the nation of Israel. They're essentially saviors for Israel, they're temporary saviors. But they weren't kings. They did have, they, they absolutely had a certain amount of power. Um, and in some cases, the, the, the term judge was, it's kind of, it's a bit ambiguous. Some, some cases they were sort of military leaders, other cases they were prophets. But generally, they had a role to play in, in sort of judging Israel as well. But they, as I said, they weren't kings, but they, they definitely had power. One of the interesting points about the judges is that it wasn't a case that their sons went on to inherit their position. So while they had some power, they weren't, were not at all as powerful as kings. So they didn't have that hereditary um, aspect where their son would inherit um, their, their role. Now, there's one or two exceptions to that. Gideon was one exception uh, where there was an inheritance, but it wasn't, it wasn't done by, by, um, by good means. Uh, and then also, if you look at Eli, who, was, who judged Israel, uh, his two sons, um, we know about Phineas and Hophni, and what happened to them. And then in this situation here with Samuel, his two sons, Abijah and Joel, took over his mantle. But you can see that this is not what this was not really what God had ordained. So anytime this actually did happen, this sort of hereditary passing on of the mantle happened, it, it didn't end well. And we notice like we see it in, in um, throughout politics today. We see, you know, often uh, the sons and daughters of, of politicians will 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 take a will take over their role. So it's it's a well known um, human trait um, where people in power positions will will, will appoint their their their, their uh, descendants uh, to take over from them. And in this case, in the case of Samuel, we see um, that this led to corruption. Again, not something that we're not familiar with in terms of politicians. So there were bribes and they perverted justice. So we see that power tends to corrupt. That's, you know, I think that's a truism that we, we, all, we all are aware of. Power, power, is, power tends to corrupt. And as the saying goes, power, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think this is one of the reasons why God was warning the people of Israel the implications of having a king. Because with a king, as opposed to a judge, there would be much more power vested in the king. He would have his military. His word would be final. He could essentially, if you didn't obey his word, um, he could execute you. And we see from the list of, of, of um, different requirements that Samuel lists here that there would be a heavy price to pay for the Israelites if they wanted to have a king. In many ways, it's, it's, 
it's a it's like a system of government. There would be um, he would be getting taxes. He would have military, um, and he would have people working for him. And in many ways, when we go back to the Brexit, you know, one of the big issues was, oh, we want to be able to set our own taxes. We don't want to be part of a. We want our own. Have our own army. Um, we want to set our, our own laws, etc. So it's 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 something that runs throughout. Uh, God told Samuel, warn 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 the Israelites. They can have a king, but if they have a king, this is what's going to happen. And it's interesting. Um, that, that God says, it's not, it's not you that they're rejecting, Samuel. It is me. It is me. Because they were rejecting God as their king. And God had obviously delivered them many times in the past through judges and through his own acts of mighty power. But as, but as with, with, with many of us, our memory is, is very short. And they had forgotten the deliverances that God had given. Even most recently was, was when they delivered them from the Philistines, when, when they cried out to God and God thundered from heaven and he delivered them from to be like the other nations. And so God said, they can have a king, but let them know that there will be implications. And it's interesting, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 17, that God had anticipated, God had anticipated that they were going to ask for a king. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God lays down, if you like, the, the law um, or the, the principles that should govern kings. So as I said, even though kings had absolute power to some extent, relative to the judges god was wanted to put in sort of um a balance to make sure that the kings stayed uh within the law of god so just reading from deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 14 says when you come into the land which the lord your god is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say i will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me you shall surely set a king over you whom the lord your god chooses one from among your brethren, you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he great, greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of the law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. So God was essentially 
putting in a check and a balance there on the king to say, when you have a king, make sure that he reads the word, reads the law. The more you invest in a king, the more potential there is for corruption and the bigger the implications. So he needs to know the word and what is the right way um, what, of, of right, the way of righteousness to govern in righteousness. And if he does, then he'll have a long uh, kingship. It's interesting in, you may, some of you may be familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was a, um, a major find, um, archeological find uh, it, it last century. Uh, when they found these scrolls that basically confirmed a lot of what, um, uh, a lot of the Bible, a lot of um, uh, manuscripts that confirmed um, a lot of the Old Testament in particular, and, and, and uh, the New Testament, about, uh, about G, but the Gospels and, and, and Isaiah in particular. But one of, the, one of the scrolls that they found, a temple scroll, outlines exactly what, what kind of checks and balances that they put in place. They had put in place checks and balances to make sure that the kings were essentially um, accountable to the, uh, the priesthood um, uh, to make sure that they didn't just go their own way, didn't just do their own thing, but they observed the law of, of God. And so that's what this is talking about here. And, and even today we see um, the issue of the separation of powers between the judges, if you like, and, and the government. You have to try and keep them relatively separate to make sure that, that there's independence and there isn't corruption. Most recently, we've just seen in the, in the American election where uh, the Supreme Court ruled against uh, Donald Trump um, in an appeal he had about the election. And you can't have that system working unless there is independence between the king or the judicial system or the law on, on, on the other hand. So that was, that was the situation. Israel was moving to a monarchy. And as God has said, they're not rejecting Samuel, they were rejecting God. Because really what the issue here was that the nation of Israel had become corrupt. The nation of Israel had fallen away from following God. And the judges and uh, the, the attacks by the enemy and the, and the defeats were all essentially just a reflection of the nation of Israel's disobedience to God. Ultimately, the issue was one. They did not believe that God would provide for them. They wanted the king of their own. They wanted the rule in their way, not in, in God. Because ultimately, it wasn't an issue about the king. Because we know many, many years later that the true king would come to Israel. In Matthew chapter 
verse 2. The three wise men speaking to King Herod said that they were seeking the king of the Jews. Jesus, king of the Jews. So Jesus came and it was his, his coming was, of course, um, prophesied in the, in the book of Zechariah. Uh, the king coming lowly on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus, Jesus's kingdom was very much not of this, of this world. Blessed is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus was coming in the name of the Lord. And we see what happened to Jesus. He was rejected by the Jews. They put a crown of thorns, as we know, upon his head. And when Pontius Pilate said, here is your king, the Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. Caesar is our king. So even though they had many years previously, they had asked for a king. When their true, true king actually came to deliver them, because they wanted, the reason they wanted a king was for deliverance. When the true king came to deliver them, it was not from an occupation. It was from themselves, but they rejected the, they rejected the king. And in Mark, it says, on the cross, the accusation, the reason why Jesus was put, put to death, the accusation was written on the cross, the king of the Jews. Because Jesus proclaimed to be the king of the Jews, they put him on the cross. So, what relevance does that have, have for us today? Well, obviously, Israel, we know the history of Israel. We know how they moved away from God. But they were, even while they were set apart by God and, you know, special people in many ways, in other ways, they were a mirror uh, to ourselves and to the human condition in general and how we... Um, Want to, want to rule our lives ourselves. We want to, we all, let's face it, we all want to realize our potential. Everybody wants to realize their potential. Um, but God is saying, if you really want to realize your potential, you have to submit to my, to my sovereign, sovereignty. And we know as Christians, you know, we will say Jesus is, is our king. Jesus is our Lord. We know he's our savior. Um, and the concept of being a king and our Lord is something we, we profess to. But, of course, there is a question. Is he really king of, of our lives? Or have we set ourselves as king? Have we said, no, God, I want to rule over this area of my life. I know best. I want to realize my potential because a lot of the time we, we might feel, well, if, you know, if I, if I do everything God, that God wants, then I can't do this. I, I know, I know better. Um, it could be career. 
It could be with, with, with money. It could be uh, with family, with relationships, with our spare time, whatever it is. We want to have a bit of, a bit of wriggle room where we can decide what we want to do. And ultimately, that's us making ourselves king instead of, instead of Jesus. So how do we know? How do we know if, if God, if Jesus is the king of our life, if Jesus is king of every aspect of our life? Before we think about that, we need to remember that Jesus does want us to fulfill our potential. He wants us to fulfill our potential. He wants to release us, to actually free us, to do the very best that we can do. It's just not necessarily what we think it is. And that's often the problem. And that's where the, the sin of, of unbelief or sometimes pride comes in. But Jesus sees great potential in each of us. And he wants us to fulfill that potential. But in order for us to fulfill that potential, we need to submit to his kingship. So how do we know if, if God is, or if Jesus is king over our life, if he's king over every part of our life? Well, I think there's a good test in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, verse, verse 2. The writer speaks of the king of peace and the king of righteousness. That was a king called Melchizedek. You may be familiar with the story. It actually, the story mm -hmm. comes, comes from Genesis chapter 14. It's the first mm -hmm. mention of, of kings in the Bible. And just to briefly go over, essentially there were nine kings fighting it out. They had a big battle. It was the first time kings were mentioned in the Bible. They had a big battle. And as a result of the battle, Lot was taken as a captive. And Abraham mustered his, his servants together and they, he went and he rescued Lot um, from, from the kings who had won the battle. But on the scene of that battle, after the battle, on the scene appears this king called uh, King Melchizedek. And his name, his name means king of righteousness and king of peace. King of righteousness, Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and Salem is peace. So king, he was the king of Salem, the place Salem, essentially probably Jerusalem. So he was king of righteousness and the king of peace. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse, if you go with me to Hebrews chapter 7, actually verse, um, verse 17, it says, for he testifies, you are priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So it was saying that Jesus was a king and a priest. But in this case, a priest, the king Salem, king of Salem, king Melchizedek, he offered a, he offered a, or he, he had the, uh, the bread and the wine and he had a supper with, with Abraham. But he was a priest 
but he was also a king. And Jesus is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. In Isaiah, spare me a second. Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17. It says, The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So we see here that righteousness and peace are intertwined. If we have a righteous king, that will, lead, that will lead to peace. So the king of righteousness, Jesus, and we know that Jesus is our righteousness, it will lead to peace. The effect of righteousness is quietness and assurance forever. And in the same way, we can know if Jesus is really king over our lives, He will be ruling in righteousness and we will be living righteously, but ultimately we will be having a life of peace. If you don't have peace, it's probably because there is some area in your life at the moment that is not under God's kingship, that's not under Jesus's kingship. And you need to surrender that to Jesus. As I said, it could, be, it could be any aspect of your life that is not under the kingship of Jesus. In Matthew, uh, Jesus talks about, you know, why we worry about so many things. And it's, it's very, very human, very normal to worry about so many things. And, and as Rufus said, at this time of year, the world will certainly uh, have a lot of stress uh, where, where we're meant to have peace. But sometimes we don't even have peace at Christmas. Uh, because we get stressed about things. But it's a good litmus test, it's a good barometer. If, if we don't have peace in our heart, then we haven't given God, probably haven't given God rulership over every aspect of our life. Jesus says, you know, you're worried about many things. But then he goes on to say, Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. If you want peace this Christmas, seek first his kingdom. And I know myself, the temptation is when there's so many things to do in the day, there's so many things to do in the day, that I just want to get on with today and get them done in my own strength, in my own sovereignty, in my own power. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we submit our wills 
to Jesus every day to his kingship, he will realize our potential. He will give us his peace. And just like the kings had to um, read the law of the Lord to make sure they didn't go astray, in the same way, even as Christians, we may say, oh, Jesus is my king. But even as Christians, we need constantly to read God's word to keep us in check. And I know the hardest thing, you know, in busy, these busy days is to, to seek first his kingdom. But it is also the most important thing that we can do is to seek first his kingdom. And for me, that means in the morning, in particular, spending time in his word and praying. Otherwise, my day tends to go a bit pear-shaped. But for, for, I, for you, it might be different, but I'm sure God will speak to you. What does it mean to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness? I'll just close with this verse from 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Cham Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing which he will manifest in his own time he was the blessed and only potentate the only sovereign one the king of kings and the lord of lords God wants us to be blameless. He is coming back. He wants us to be blameless. He wants us to have him as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the only sovereign in our lives, over every area in our lives. Father, I thank you that you, um, you have given us Jesus, your son, as the King. The humble King came on a donkey who doesn't barge his way into our lives but by his spirit um, asks uh, for us to to submit to his kingship lord i pray for each of us that we will seek first your kingdom over this uh, christmas period lord we will seek first your kingdom lord in faith we will seek it lord in faith uh, we will submit our will lord to you over this christmas period and Lord, I just also pray, Lord, for this for our nation, Lord, in so many ways, uh, like Israel, Lord, has um, rejected you, Lord, has rejected you, Lord. Lord, I pray that as, as um, a church that we will seek uh, the welfare of our nation. We will pray for our leaders. We will pray for our kings, Lord. And ultimately, we will pray that you will come, Lord, uh, and make this nation again 
seek you, Lord. Seek your kingdom first. In Jesus' name, amen.